Hi friends, my name is Paige and I'm the Creative Arts Manager at Grace Church Barbican. Welcome to our Sunday service podcast. We are so glad that you are listening. This is the live recording of our Sunday message and we hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you hear. Let's jump into Who Do You Say I Am? Hey, uh, if you got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 9. That's where we're going to camp today. That's where we're going to be. And as you get there, uh, I was thinking about a story this morning. Uh, when have you, Just draw to mind for a second. Have you ever been uncomfortable? You ever been uncomfortable? Uh, some of us, we live our life in uncomfortable. I'm one of them, right? Like that's where I live a lot of my life is very uncomfortable, right? And I remember uh, when I was 19, I was an intern at the Norton campus. That's where I am uh, usually hang out on Sundays is over there. And uh, I was meeting with one of the pastors and they said, hey, we're going we're gonna to take this meeting on the road. And so I said, okay, let's go. And so we get in the car, we're in the car, we're driving. And I said, where are we going, right? And he said, there's a family that needs our help. I said, okay, sounds good. Is there anything else? And he said, nope, just just that right now. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So we're talking. We get there, we pull up, and as we pull up, he goes, why don't you sit in the car, and I'll be back in a little bit. Okay, I'm 19, okay? I'm kind of new to this whole gig, and uh, I'm hanging out there for a second, and what felt like forever was probably 20 minutes, but I'm just like twiddling my thumbs, like not really sure what is going on or what's about to happen, okay? And he comes back out to the car. And as he comes back out to the car, he's carrying something, and it's quite large. And I'm looking at it like, okay, what what is this? And as he gets closer, he motions for me to come out of the car, and he hands me a car seat, right? And I'm like, okay. Uh, And he said, can you get this in the car? I'll be right back. I said, okay, sounds good. I have no idea what is happening at this point. This story could go anywhere, right? And so we get the car seat, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to jam this thing in the back of his car. Have you ever put a car seat in a car? I mean, it's next to rocket science, right? Like, you're, like, trying to figure this thing out. I'm 19. I'm finagling this thing. I'm getting frustrated. I'm looking up YouTube videos. It's not that hot outside, but I'm sweating, right? Like, it's just a mess. It's a mess. And uh, he comes back, and he has a kid with him, and he looks at me for a second, and he just, this kid's about one, two years old, and he looks at me, and he goes, you having trouble? And I said, yeah, I am actually, I'm having quite a lot of trouble. And he said, why don't I take it, you you entertain him for a second, and we had to take him to one of his friend's houses, and so he was orchestrating it and trying to do it, and I know I shouldn't have said it, but I looked at him, and I'm like you having trouble, right? Like he was having trouble with it and he couldn't figure it out. And he said, I am having trouble, right? And he's like, but you were having trouble too. And I'm like, yeah, but you're the dad. I'm not the dad. I'm not old enough to be a dad, right? And so we finally figured out how to do that. We put it in there. And now can I tell you this? I'm a dad, right? That was an uncomfortable situation for me to be in. I'm trying to figure this out. But now I'm quite comfortable with car seats. I can figure them out really good. Like I'm I'm actually pretty professional at it. I can do it in a matter of seconds, right? This morning, I think Jesus wants to make the comfortable, those who are comfortable right now, uncomfortable, right? And I think we might find ourselves to be comfortable in a lot of ways, right? And we might have been following, we might have been using car seats for a while, but we might find ourselves to be a little bit more uncomfortable today. Hey, if you got Luke 9 open, verse 21, that's where we're going to look. And I, this is what we do at the Norton campus sometimes, so I'm just going to invite you guys to do it. Uh, if, if you would with me, would you mind just standing with me as we read God's Word and just a way of honoring it this morning? Luke 9. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone this. 
And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. And then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the angels, holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for just meeting us here this morning. And Lord, I just pray that this morning you would do what I can't. I pray, Lord, that Jesus, you would just speak to us. Would you make us uh, uncomfortable this morning? Your words are heavy and they're a little unsettling. And it's not necessarily complex, Lord, but your teaching is hard to live into. So I'm just asking that you'd show us grace and that you would lead us in your way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, you, you familiar with what a paradox is? You know what a paradox is? It's, it's something that either does contradict itself or it seems like it should contradict itself, right? And so some of my favorite, the best way to explain a paradox is just by giving an example, right? So one of my favorite examples of a paradox is everything I say is a lie, right? If you think about that statement, you're like, is that true, right? It's a paradox. It creates this tension in you. Here's another one. The first rule about Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. But in that statement, you're talking about, you still with me here? You still, I, I'm, I'm like looking at you. Okay, okay. Here's my, here's my favorite one by far. As I've said before, I never repeat myself, right? That's a paradox, right? It's a tension that it causes in between you. The whole gospel is this beautiful paradox, and Jesus wants us to get it, that the gospel is it's about ugly things that are made beautiful. It's about the sick that are made well, and the well are considered to be sick. It's about a God who's dead but is actually alive, the creator who is killed by his creatures, the death on a cross is the greatest actual victory when it looks like defeat. That sin, when it looks like it wins, it actually is really losing. The gospel is this beautiful paradox that the one who had it all from heaven came down to earth and to give it all. The paradox creates this tension in us because it feels like it shouldn't be true at times, right? It feels like it has this tension and Jesus is the Messiah who comes into the messiness of our world as one of us to die for us. It's a beautiful mess. And some of us, we get used to the story. We get used to the story and it's kind of like, yep, you're on Sunday morning, right? Like I'm singing these songs again and just being reminded, I'm like, God, please share my affection for you again. Don't let this story get old to me, God. Would you rock my world again, blow my mind again, disturb my soul again? And for the sake of this morning, I think this is where Jesus takes us right away. We're coming right out the gate. Is Jesus is the sufferer who defeated my sin. That the paradox that he gives is the whole point of life. That to save your life, you got to lose it. To find it, it looks like you might be failing at everything else. That to win really at life means you might look like you're losing. 
right? To, to have it all, you have to drop it all. That's the paradox. That's the tension in Jesus. To say yes to Jesus is to let go of trying to control everything that I'm trying to control. Because a lot of us, we spend our life trying to control our life in such a way that we control relationships, we control parenting, we control marriage, we control our finances to somehow try and gain the world for ourselves. And Jesus is like, you try and do that, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. Why don't, rather than you trying to control everything, you trust the one who's in control, right? And you'll have everything. See, it's this beautiful tension. It's this beautiful paradox. In Luke 9, I'm just going to be honest, this all week long has just been disturbed within me a little bit. I've been unsettled a little all week, right? And in Luke 9, he's getting ready. If you look back in the passage, Luke 9, he's getting ready to feed 5,000 people. He feeds 5,000 plus people. We, we assume there was probably more with women and children kind of being added in that day, right? And so there's 5,000 plus people. He's got five loaves of bread, two fish. You might be familiar with the story. And he feeds them. And after this, the crowds are like eating and there's leftovers and they're amazed and they're like enjoying a good meal, right? And then what happens is he kind of pulls off to the side and he pulls off to the side and he talks to Peter for a second. And it's kind of the crux of this whole series, this conversation that he has with Peter. And he says, hey, Peter, I know I just fed all of them this bread and these fishes. And what, what they want is they want me to be like an olive garden and just keep bringing out the breadsticks. That's what they were hoping for, right? And, and he's like, I'm not going to do that. But Peter, who do, who do they say I am? Right? He kind of looks out at the crowd and he's like, who do they say I am? And Pete's like, well... You know, they say you're a prophet. They say you're a teacher. They say you're, you might be God. They, they don't know. And Jesus is like, okay, okay, forget about them for a second. Peter and the other disciples, the close disciples, were kind of there listening. He's like, Peter. Peter, wow, that's crazy. Are we good? It's a cliffhanger, man. <laughs> Sorry. I like it. There we go. As he talks to the crowd, he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, can you imagine? We got we to catch back up to speed. We had, Jesus just had this conversation with Peter. The crowd wasn't listening. Now the crowd's in on this. And, and he goes, whoever wants to be my disciple. And I imagine the crowd, the whole crowd's going, whoa, 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 whoa. We just wanted Olive Garden. We wanted you to keep waiting on us. We wanted you to keep bringing us breadsticks. We wanted nothing to do with following you, right? Like, I just had Olive Garden this week. It's great. They keep bringing it out. You don't even have to ask. As soon as it's gone, they're out with it, right? And they, that's what they were wanting. They were wanting kind of this guy who would just provide everything for them. 
And then Peter just had this conversation, and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoever wants to be my disciple? I think the crowd was a little uncomfortable when they heard that. But I also think Peter was uncomfortable. I think Peter and the rest of the disciples, they were uncomfortable. Why? Because they'd been following Jesus for a little while. They'd been following Jesus, and they would have heard that, and they would have thought back to the first time that Jesus said, do you want to be my disciple? Come follow me. Come follow me. And I think what happened is they got used to a Jesus that they thought they knew, right? And they got used to this Jesus that they thought they knew. And both the disciples and the crowd were uncomfortable because Jesus just, I've been following him long enough to know that comfortable is not an option with him. It's not an option. We've said this kind of throughout the series that our amazement, which was a pretty amazing thing. He turned 5,000 loaves of bread or five loaves of bread for 5,000 people. It was an amazing thing. Our amazement has to do with a response. And our response, the only response to Jesus that he gives you is either to reject him or to respond to his authority, right? The question this morning that I just want to ask you, like, are you uncomfortable? Or have you gotten comfortable following Jesus? Or have you gotten comfortable just kind of being around Jesus, coming to church every once in a while and seeing what it's all about, right? Because Jesus, he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple First, they deny themselves. We'll say it this way today. Is Jesus is the sufferer who invites us to deny self daily. We live in a world that's obsessed with ourselves, right? I, I probably don't have to convince you the low-hanging fruit is Facebook or Instagram, right? We post pictures of ourselves constantly. I don't really get it, but we are obsessed with ourselves. We have words that we use. We love self-love, self-care, self-worth, self-acceptance, self-meaning, self-pleasing, self-sufficient, self-serving, self-reliance, self-image, self-indulging, self-identity, self-expression, self-esteem, self-centered, right? We are self-centered culture, and our world, you don't have to live in it very long to hear it, and Jesus, what he's trying to get at is the DNA of our sin is our self, the DNA of sin is self. Uh, there's a philosopher by the name of Plato. Maybe you've heard of him. I'm not sure if that's where we got Plato out of, but that's where he comes from, right? He was a Greek philosopher, and he had this idea. He had this idea of two flying horses to describe somehow the soul. And one horse that describes the soul, they're attached to this chariot. And he, he kind of said, he's not a follower of Christ by any means, but uh, he said the, the one horse is everything that's good, true, and beautiful, right? And then there's this other horse that we attach to that's bad, ugly, and wrong, right? And he kind of used this to describe the human soul, right? There's, there's more secular writers that write today. Here's a, a little bit lengthy quote if you're familiar with David Brooks and The Road to Character. The reason I share it is because he's a secular writer at the time, and he wrote this. He said, today, we tend to live within an ethos of authenticity. It's to trust self. That's what he's meaning. We tend to believe that the true self is whatever is the most natural and untutored. That is, each of us has a certain sincere way of being in the world. And we should live our life being truthful to that authentic inner self, not succumbing to the pressures outside herself. What's he saying? He's like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's, that feels wrong. And he says, to live artificially, to, to listen to what other people tell me what to do or how to live life, 
with a gap between your inner nature and your outer conduct is to be deceptive, cunning, and false. Now, now follow with me. He says this. He says there's a different philosophy. We start out with raw material, some good and some bad. And this nature has to be pruned, girdled, formed, repressed, molded, and often restrained rather than paraded in public. A personality is a product of cultivation. The true self is what you have built from your nature, not just what your nature started out with. What's he saying? The, the reason I share that is this. He's not writing from a Christian perspective, right? But it sounds a whole lot to me like Genesis. His whole premise for his book is he talks about this Adam one. He kind of takes the narrative of Genesis, and he thinks about Adam before sin entered the world. Everything was good. Everything was right. Everything was uh, kind of perfect. And he says there's this good nature that's within us, right? But then there's this post-Adam, this post-fall, this Adam two that's in us. It sounds like Plato, like there's this thing in me that's broken, that's fallen, that wants to do what its own thing. And scripture talks about this all over the place. In Genesis, it calls it sin and rebellion. Jesus calls it the self. Paul, in a lot of the early church, called it this thing, the flesh. That we have this flesh, this thing inside us that we want to do what we want. We want to be autonomous. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to do life apart from God. And the world and ourselves scream at ourselves that you can trust you, right? That you can trust you when it comes to relationships. You can trust you when it comes to your money. You can trust you when it comes to sex, when it comes to work, when it comes to food, when it comes to parenting. You can trust you when it comes to your marriage, your identity. You trust you. Why? Well, because we are so much more experienced than other people, right? We have so much more experience than them. And we have education now. So we are way more educated than we've ever been. And by the way, we're enlightened human beings, right? So we can trust ourselves. And if we can't, We've got Google, right? We don't need God. We've got Google, right? And our world says to trust you, to trust ourselves, to decide what is good and what is bad. There's a Russian writer who was born after World War I, so just get that in your mind, and he would have seen World War II in Russia. He said this. He said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. I think he's right. I think he might be onto something. Uh, when I, uh, so early on in marriage, I was getting frustrated with having to make a lot of decisions, right? Like I'm working full time, I'm in school, I'm married, I'm, I'm trying to make a lot of decisions. So I thought one of the decisions, I read something about Steve Jobs where he wore black turtlenecks, right? And that was one less decision he had to make all of his life. And so he just wore a black turtleneck and jeans every day. And so I'm like, well, that's interesting. Uh, I can't do the turtleneck. Uh, just, I, I don't even wanna try it. Like, I don't wanna see that, right? But I did think what I could do is do black t-shirts, right? And so I went on Amazon, as you do, and uh, I went and found like 20 black t-shirts for like 10 bucks. And so I'm like, this is great. I'm just going to wear black t-shirts from here on out, right? So I went, bought a bunch of black t-shirts, and I didn't tell my wife about this, but uh, I just thought, you know, I have a few black t-shirts. I feel comfortable in a black t-shirt. It's kind of cozy. I like it. And so I wore black t-shirts for about three days in a row, 
And uh, my wife goes, so what's up with all the black t-shirts, right? <laughs> like, why are, we, why are we doing that? And I said, isn't it great? Like, I don't have to, I just, I just have one look. This is it. This is what you get. And she's like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore for several reasons, for several reasons. One, they were the cheapest black t-shirts you could ever buy. So as soon as she washed them, they shrank, right? And then they also collected like lint on them all the time. Like it was just gnarly. And so she's like, we're done with the black t-shirt thing. I, I talked her into a polo. That's, that's the best I got now, right? But this black t-shirt, it's the thing I felt comfortable with. It's the thing that I seemed the most confident or familiar with. And Paul kind of has this picture in Ephesians 4 when he talks about yourself. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, get the black t-shirt off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I think what Jesus is trying to get at before we move on is that if I'm not denying myself, the person I'm denying is God. The person I'm denying is God. And by the way, our self, like, let's forget about you guys for a second. Just talk about me. Like, I, I'm a terrible boss for me. Like, I'm a terrible manager. I'll go out and buy a ton of black T-shirts. Like, that's not a great idea, right? But I, I lie to myself more than anybody else does. I lie to myself about what will make me happy, about what will satisfy me, what will bring me peace. I have bad motives. I have bad attitudes. I have bad thoughts. And I trust myself way too much, right? And there's a, the whole Old Testament, if you're familiar at all with it, it's about people who try and trust themselves as they're trusting God, and they just keep tripping over themselves. They just keep tripping over themselves. There's a, there's a book in there that says they did right, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It didn't go great. It was not a good thing. So back on you. How's it going trusting yourself? Have you been trusting yourself? C.S. Lewis in for the win. He says this, you can't go against the grain of the universe and not expect to get splinters. We were not, deni- we were not designed to trust ourselves. A lot of us, we think is winners because we've been trusting ourselves for so long. Jesus says the first thing is we deny ourselves. What's that look like? Well, I think first it just starts with a, an honest confession to God, right? You go, God, I'm, I've been trusting me for way too long, and I need new management. I need to dethrone me for a second. And God, I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And in Romans, he says this, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I think it first starts with this honest confession. God, I want you to lead my life. But I think there's another thing. I think there's another thing that's simple, but it's, it's challenged me a lot recently. I was out backpacking a few years ago, actually with your pastor, Pastor Joel, and uh, this was a few years back, and, and we were out backpacking. He's probably shared some stories about that uh, with random ponies. Did you know you could find ponies in the mountains of West Virginia? Didn't know that. We got up there. I'm like, wow, there's lots of ponies, but beside the point, uh, we were out there, and we're with Tony Lavigny. He's the campus pastor over at Medina, 
and we're talking with him. He's an incredible guy, incredible guy. And, and I was talking with him. We were asking questions, just trying to learn from him because we're young guys wanting to be, uh, just admire him, and we wanted to learn from him. And so uh, one of us, I can't remember who asked it, but one of us asked, like, what's the best thing that you do? Like, what's the most effective, best thing that you do? And he kind of, I mean, it was a little stoic. I'll never forget it. He was, we were backpacking, so we're trucking along. And he just goes, hmm, I practice telling myself no every day. And I was like, man, I thought about getting pen and paper out, but now you told me that? Like, what, what is that supposed to mean? And he really didn't elaborate much on it. And you know what? He, the only illustration he gave was a candy jar that he has at the office, which we have one at our office, right? Every good office has a candy jar. And he said, usually what I do is I pass the candy jar and I just tell myself, no, you don't need that. And I'm like, what? That's it? And you know what? I went to, I went to uh, work the next week and I walked by the candy jar and you know what I did? I ate a piece of candy. I'm just going to be honest with you, right? I just did, right? The, the next day, I looked at it and I'm like, you know what? No, you don't need this. You don't need this. Not today, right? Which was different. And it did something in me. It did this weird thing in my soul where I was like, it was kind of felt punk rock, I'm going to be honest. Like, man, I just said no to myself. Everybody says yes to themselves. Nobody says no, right? I walked by it again, and uh, we have the lady at the desk there. She goes, do you want a piece of candy? And I said, no, I'm trying to follow Jesus, right? Like, I, I don't want candy, right? You know? And you know what? I started implementing this a few years ago, just trying to figure out different ways, creative ways, to tell myself no. Because I think we tell ourselves no in the small ways, we train for in the big ways, right? That if I could somehow tell myself no when it came to food or when it came to my phone or when it comes to TV or the extra hour of work or you want to really mess with yourself, tell yourself no to coffee for a week, right? That'll mess with you. That'll mess with you a lot. Tell yourself no from sugar. Just try it, right? It's different. It messes with you. It messes with you. And I think what Jesus is saying is we are so used to getting whatever we want that if we start to deny ourselves in the big way, in the small ways, we'll train for the big ways. Second thing, you still with me? You guys still with me? Okay. We're going to keep going. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, take up their cross and follow me daily, Right? I think Jesus is saying Jesus is the sufferer who invites us in to die to self daily. We have a saying that we often hear, I hear my cross to bear. And when we think about my cross to bear, we think about, you know, the sickness that we have, the cold that we have that week, or we think about my cross to bear is my job, or my cross to bear, and this one's too personal to me this week, is the AC breaking out on me, right? Like, that's just my cross to bear this week, or it's my in-laws, they're my cross to bear, right? Which, I love my in-laws, but you think about that's a saying that we often hear, and when we hear Jesus, I think he's getting at something way more profound than just a cross to bear. I think he's saying, take up your cross, that Jesus, if you follow him, you can expect the same life that he lived, but you can expect the same death that he died. Like some of us, we follow Jesus, and we expect life to be comfortable. We expect life to be good. We expect life to be easy, and Jesus, he traded his comfort for a cross, right? That Jesus was anything but comfortable. Paul's going to color this in for us in Philippians 3. Philippians 3, he says this, but whatever gains to me, I, cons- I don't consider loss for the sake of Christ. Sounds like Jesus there, 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know his presence. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in the process of his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Can, can we say this? I, I was trying to think of this and went on a walk this morning. But so I was thinking about this. I just got, as I was walking, a few rocks. I was thinking about the, just the pain that each one of us carry, right? We carry different pain. We carry different suffering. And, and each pain, maybe you felt the pain of betrayal, or you felt the pain of rejection, or you felt the pain of suffering, or the pain of being wronged, or the pain of injustice, or the pain of rejection, whatever it was for you. Right? We all carry pain. And I think sometimes we try and dismiss it or diminish our pain, and, and I'm not trying to do that this morning, but... I think each of us carry something. And what Paul's trying to get at is what would happen if you took that pain and you took that suffering that is real and has shapes and cuts and edges and it's hardened, and you took that pain and you went out to the Grand Canyon of God's love, suffering love for you on the cross. Because when you go to God's grand canyon of suffering love for you on the cross, what you find is you see it's high, it's deep, it's wide, it's long. And you see it and you set your pain almost up against the grand canyon of God's lo- suffering love. And what you, you find is it doesn't go away, it doesn't make it easy. But somehow you see that you get to participate in the same suffering that Jesus was rejected. So when I'm rejected, I get to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. Like what? Like what does that look like? What does that mean? How in the world? There's this deeper intimacy that I think Paul's trying to get at. That when we suffer, we have the chance to let our pain, our suffering be engulfed by the grand canyon of God's suffering love for us. And in that process... In that process, three things happen. I think we get a deeper sense of his presence because Jesus was quite familiar with pain. He was quite familiar with any suffering you've experienced. I think, I think the second thing that we get is we get a powerful picture of his story. As some of us, we carry deep pain and we carry deep hurt and we carry deep suffering with ruined things and God's in the business of turning dead things back to life, Right? making ruined things and renewing them. And I think the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel is when somehow I take up my pain and I take it to Jesus. And what happens is he turns my weakness and he makes it strength. You know what? I've seen people on our campus do this. And I know there's people in this room that have done this. That they have severe pain, some as a result of following Jesus. They've had severe suffering. They've dealt with death, they've dealt with divorce, they've dealt with devastation of various kinds. And you know my heroes? My heroes are the ones that they're like, this is real, and this is hard, and it hurts. But you know what? I'm going to be a picture 
of God's Grand Canyon suffering love in a small way. And you know what? We have a lady from our church who has just dealt with horrendous stuff. I wouldn't want it. She doesn't. And yet her story, she helps lead one of our most powerful ministries. She leads one of our most powerful ministries, and she's just kind of a picture of the power of the gospel, a trophy of God's grace. And she reflects just this Grand Canyon of God's suffering love for humanity. I think the third thing it does is in the process, it makes you more like Jesus. That our pain has, it's, it's part of the process that our suffering will shape you. Our suffering shapes us, right? It can make us into these beautiful people of God's grace. Or our suffering can make you cynical. It can make you ugly. It can make you cold. It can make you hardened like a rock. And, and you know what? I've never met somebody, I just haven't yet, who's like, you know, the past two years, man, the past two years, my marriage is going great. I have tons of money, like tons of it. It's like doing fantastic, my bank account, right? And, and my wife and I, we just installed a white picket fence. And, you know, I just feel more like Jesus today. Like, I've never had that happen. I've never had it. You know what I have seen and, and talked to is stories like this that got really rough edges, that have really deep hurt, that have really deep pain. And they bring it to Jesus. And somehow their questions start out with, God, why is this happening? How could you let this happen? Do you care about me? And you know what they move to? Their questions oftentimes as they mature, which, by the way, God can handle all your questions. They a lot of times move to, God, where can I meet you in this? Because it's really hard and I'm not sure how I'm going to meet you, but I, I believe that I'm going to meet you somehow in this. God, how are you going to shape me? What, what areas are really rough in me that I need shaped? And this is going to shape me. This is going to mold me. The pain is part of the process. God, what are you up to right now? Or sometimes really mature followers of Christ, I just find this, that they just cry out, help God, I need you in this. Just help me. Just help me. Galatians 2, Paul says it like this. I have been crucified with Christ, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who had a Grand Canyon suffering kind of love for me, and he gave himself up for me. One final note on suffering I'll say is this, that suffering keeps us sensitized to reality. It keeps us sensitized to reality that this is not normal. Paul David Tripp, I, I couldn't figure out a better way to say this. He just says it like this. He says, I'm afraid that we are so used to our sin-stained world, which is so much of a part of our normal daily lives. I'm afraid we have gotten so of the fact that it has messed up everything in our lives. I'm afraid we have gotten so used to the horror that we live in when that we live with every day. I'm afraid that we forgot that sin makes everything in our lives more difficult and dangerous than God ever intended it to be. I'm afraid that we have, that what was never meant to be has become what is now expected. I'm afraid that the things that should get our attention and break our hearts are so routine that they barely get our attention anymore. I'm afraid that we have learned to live alongside what should be mourned and abhorred. I'm afraid that the presence of sin in us and around us is so familiar that it doesn't make us afraid and sad as it should. Sin is never harmless. It is a cruel slave master out to kidnap your heart and control 
your life. The ultimate reason for our suffering is sin. It is sin. Sometimes it's in us. A lot of times it's around us. Okay? Because when you talk to people that are suffering and they're not sure what's, what, what God's trying to do, a lot of times they're like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? I'll, I'll say I'm sorry for that and I'll figure it out. You know what? It might not be something you did wrong. It might be something you're doing right. Because Jesus did it all right. He did everything right and yet suffered in a Grand Canyon kind of way. I think our suffering somehow is supposed to shape us into this deeper intimacy with Jesus. He says this final thing. Whoever wants to be my disciple, follow me. Jesus is the sufferer who invites us to decide to follow Jesus daily. Jesus, um, he's, he's not really easy all the time to follow. It's not the most easy thing to do. It's not the most natural thing to do. And, and if it is easy and natural and it feels smooth, I, you, you might not be following Jesus. I think that's what he's trying to say. Because I think about my life and I think about in middle school. And, and if you're in middle school, man, I disagreed with Jesus a lot in middle school, like a ton, right? We didn't agree on everything. And in high school, do you know what? Everything stayed the same, right? It, I didn't agree with him at all in high school. There was a lot of things my friends were doing that I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I agree with Jesus on this one. Like, it seems like they're having a lot of fun. In college, and I went to Bible college, Jesus and I disagreed quite a bit. And now that engagement, married life, parenting, can I just tell you Jesus and I still disagree? We, we disagree. But you know what the pattern is? You know the pattern? It's Jesus is Lord as a big banner. And I can disagree with him. I don't, I don't have to always agree. I don't always have to see it. But somehow I'm, I'm trying to go, the, the arc of my life, the story of my life, I just want it to be Jesus is Lord because I'm not going to trust me. I'm not going to trust me. The biggest joy in my life right now is watching my one-year-old son learning how to walk. It's awesome. It is so much fun. I love it, right? He's learning how to walk. And right now he's in his crib, and what happens when he's in his crib, we put stuffed animals and different things like that in there, and what he does is he takes them, he picks them all up, and he throws them out of his crib, right? And he, every time, we, we put them back in there, and he throws them all out of his crib. And then what happens is he stands on the wood edge of his crib, and he's learning how to walk. So he did it just 20 minutes ago out in the living room, but he wants to do it by himself in the crib. And so what he does is he takes a full sprint, right, and he's on a mattress, and so it's not, it doesn't go well, he just falls flat, and we watch him on the camera, and my wife and I, and we just laugh at him, and then he picks back up, and he stands on the other side, and goes for a full, it's the best, every single time, and he just does it for like an hour when he's supposed to be sleeping, right, it's the best, right, and then I bring him outside after his nap, and I, I take him, and I set him up, and I'm like, I get down on his level, and I'm like, come on, bud, walk to me, right, and you know what he does? He doesn't want to walk anymore, you know? He just wants to sit there. And I'm like, we were just doing this. You were doing this in your crib, right? And so I set him back up, and I try and get him walking, and he starts to take a few steps. And he takes a step, and he takes another step, and he falls. And then I pick him back up. I'm like, okay, here we go. Come on. And I'm singing to him. I'm hanging stuff in front of him. I'm looking like a fool just trying to get this kid to take a few more steps, right? And eventually he gets tired. And when he gets tired, he just sits down because he can trust himself to crawl. He knows how to do that. He's been doing it a, 
oh, three months, I think, like just a while, right? But he, he doesn't trust himself to stand yet because that's a whole new way of doing this thing, of getting around. And, and I know he doesn't trust himself, and I'm like, come on, Denver, trust me. Trust me. Because when you walk, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel foreign. It's going to feel like, and I think, I think Jesus, even though we're familiar with crawling, Jesus is trying to get us walking. And I think the walking sounds like this. I think it's a new rhythm in which we do life. I think it's a one step forward where it's don't trust Ethan, trust Jesus. Don't trust Ethan, trust Jesus. Don't trust Ethan, trust Jesus, right? And it feels foreign. It feels weird. It feels hard. And the, the, the people that say it's not, <laughs> the, the pastor that you listen to that says everything's going to go well for you and it's easy and it, you're going to make lots of money following Jesus, like don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Following Jesus is one of the hardest things I've done. But to be honest with you, the more I've done it, the more I realize follow, not following Jesus is a lot harder because I'm not that good. I'm not that good. I'm going to invite Paige and the band to come up. And as they make their way up, there's one last thing we got to see. We got to see Jesus. He says, Jesus is the sufferer who invites us to wait for glory. He invites us to wait for glory. A couple weeks ago, Garrett, he's over at the Norton campus. He's a resident there, helps lead our worship and stuff, does a great job. And he got married, and he asked me to be a part of his wedding, which was a great honor, right? Get to stand beside them as the uh, bride comes down the aisle, and you watch him, and he's crying, and he's a mess, and all the stuff. And I was just thinking about the times that I met with him and the times we got together leading up to the wedding. And I kept, I was just another guy in his ear just to tell him, I said, hold on, man, just hang in there. Just hang in there. I said, marriage, is, it's, it's got its stuff. Like, it's, it's not a walk in the park by any means. But I said, it's awesome, man. And I'm not much farther along than him, but I'm like, it's awesome. Like, I love it. I said, engagement was brutal. I, I did not like that. Didn't like it that much. But I said, hang on. Hang on. It's worth it. It's worth it. I know it's hard sometimes. And you, you got family dynamics and you got relational dynamics and financial dynamics and all the stuff. And I said, just hang on, it's worth it. I think as we're learning to walk and as we're trying to crawl and, and Jesus is looking at us going, hang on, hang on, hang on. I know it's hard, hang on, because it's worth it. I'm making everything new. I'm making rights and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the wrongs right. Hang on, I know it's hard. I know it's a lot. I know it feels like a lot of pain and you can't keep going, but hey, glory. Right now you're suffering because the suffering is going to end and we are running into glory. Right now your suffering can be the school where you learn to be like Jesus. And Jesus, the best part about him is he doesn't leave you to yourself. He doesn't leave you to go alone. He gives you your, the spirit of God within not to try and somehow do this in a disciplined kind of way, in a cold kind of way, but you just dependently, like a kid, walk with Jesus. And the harder it is, I think Paul just speaks to us in this moment. He says, therefore, don't lose heart. Though we outwardly are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles that are rocks. <laughs> 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on ourselves, but what is unseen, since what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think what Jesus is trying to say here is while we wait, while we suffer, while we have pain that we carry, we hold on. And while you hold on, don't trust yourself. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're not that good of a manager. Trust Jesus. And, and while you're trusting Jesus, tell yourself no. Tell yourself no sometimes. Pain, it's a part of the process. Remember that your suffering is shaping you and your suffering has a potential to be a symbol that shows others the Grand Canyon-sized love that God has for them. Hold on. I know it looks like you're losing, but glory is coming. I'll be honest, I told you this. Like, Jesus has made me uncomfortable all week long. Has he made you uncomfortable? Some of us, we're so comfortable trusting ourselves. That's all we've ever known. That's all you've ever known is to trust yourself. Jesus is saying, no, 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 trust me, trust me. Some of us, we slip back into trusting ourselves. We've been following Jesus for a while, but Jesus and ourselves just seem like the same thing sometimes. It's like, no, trust me. If you're comfortable, it's probably not because you're following Jesus. Trust me. Father, we just want to invite you into the space. God, thank you for being in the space. When we don't recognize you, God, I'm just grateful you're here. God, I pray for this room. Would you help us not to trust ourselves? Not to trust ourselves. Jesus, you died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him, for you, who died for us and then was raised to life again. God, I pray that that would be who we follow. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out and connect with us or hear more about Grace, you can head to barberton.gracechurches.org for more information. We meet in person at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 629 Wesleyan Avenue in Barberton. Have a great day.